Genesis 42, and we'll, we'll begin reading in verse 8 in just a moment. Jesus is observing the worship on the Sabbath day, and he sees a man beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He won't even lift his head. He's so overwhelmed with his guilt and with a sense of his own sin. And Jesus says, this man went home justified. So God is a merciful God, but he's also a gracious God. And the difference between mercy and grace is mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving good things that we don't deserve. And the scripture we're going to look at tonight talks about that latter part, that grace that God gives us. Pray for me, please. <laughs> and so, um, God is a God of grace. You know, I remember when I first came to Christ, the change that the Lord made in me. And, and I carried a lot of guilt. I knew what was right and wrong because my dad was in the ministry. Um, I'd been taught. Uh, I was in the bed babies in church, you know. So I knew what I was supposed to do. I had just become adept at not doing what I was supposed to do and so and and of doing what I shouldn't do and I had a whole lot of guilt on my shoulders and I remember when I came and I finally surrendered and repented of my sin that God just lifted that guilt off my shoulders that kind of like uh, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress that burden fell away and uh, truly uh, made a difference in my life and uh, we, as we look at the scripture tonight, it reveals the heart of God, the gracious heart of God, in the character of Joseph. And uh, we need to understand God's grace. There's special, actually special blessing that comes from understanding God's grace, Colossians 1.6 tells us. Um, so um, as we understand the grace of God, it will make a difference in our lives. We can leave aside the guilt, even sometimes that we carry as Christians, and exchange it for God's grace. And um, Joseph's brothers were guilty. They knew it. He knew it. Uh, there was no question about their guilt. Now, they do say, uh, we, your, your, your servants are honest men. They keep saying that like they're trying to convince themselves of it. But they know it's not true, and Joseph knows that it's not true because um, that, what were they planning on doing? They were going to lie to their father about Joseph, right? They were going to take the, the uh, garment of Joseph, dip it in the blood of an animal, and let their father draw his own conclusions that Joseph had been killed uh, after they sold him into slavery. And so they, they weren't honest. Um, they also weren't just. They were unjust and cruel, and uh, you know, in this scripture, we find out that Joseph is pleading for his life, and they callously sit down and eat a meal while he is pleading for his life. And so, uh, they're anything but just, anything but true, uh, but as, as these events unfold and Joseph is interacting with them, uh, he's testing them, but they are also being challenged, and they're remembering back to what they've done, and their guilt is kind of coming to the surface, and they're being faced to deal with this guilt that they've been carrying. They can't seem to get past it. It's, it they've been carrying it for years. Uh, Judah, we didn't actually go over this chapter um, because it wasn't directly about Joseph, but God chastens Judah. He apparently can't stand living in the same household as his father. The guilt is so great as he sees his father's uh, uh, grief over Joseph that he leaves and goes and lives uh, with this, this man who's a Canaanite, ends up marrying his daughter, and uh, two of his sons are killed. And there's a whole story there. which It's like Jerry Springer if you want to go back and read it. It's pretty entertaining stuff. But um, <clears throat> uh, Judah... Is, is, is going through the school of God's discipline, 
Uh, the rest of the brothers are guilty too. And as they, as they interact with Joseph, this guilt just comes to the surface and you see what has been there all along. Um, sometimes guilt can just be an overwhelming thing in our lives. Uh, it is a good thing to know how to exchange your guilt for grace. Now, we couldn't do that on our own. Jesus makes it possible through the cross. But we can, uh, once we know Christ, we can make a choice to begin to do some things in our lives and focus on some things that God has told us about ourselves that can help us move on from guilt. Uh, someone I, I heard years ago uh, said that uh, there is a cycle of spiritual defeat. Satan tempts you or you're tempted in your own old nature to sin and you sin. And then Satan accuses you and you sense this guilt and you're focused on your sin and you're focused on your sin. And because you're so focused on your sin, guess what? You're tempted again to sin. And it's just a, a vicious cycle that continues and continues and continues until you break the cycle. And uh, one of the ways you break the cycle is by changing your thinking and believing what God has said. And so we're going to look at some of these things. And, and Joseph here, this is a great example of what a type is in Scripture, a picture of Jesus Christ. And Joseph becomes that picture as well as Simeon in one place here. Uh, but, but we'll get to that. Let's look at verse 8. The title of my message is Exchanging Guilt for Grace. Verse 8. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You've come to see the weakness of the land. No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man. We are honest. Your servants aren't spies. No, he said to them, we have come, or you have come to see the weakness of the land. But they replied, we, your servants, were twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no longer living. Then Joseph said to them, I have spoken, you, have, you are spies. This is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one from among you to get your brother. The rest of you will be in prison so that your words can be tested to see if they are true. If they are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. So Joseph imprisoned them together for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I fear God. Do this and you will live. If you are honest, let one of you be confined to the guardhouse while the rest of you go and take grain to relieve the hunger of your households. Bring your youngest brother to me so that your words can be confirmed. Then you won't die. And they consented to this. Then they said to each other, obviously we are being punished, or literally we are guilty, uh, for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. This is why this trouble has come to us. But Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to harm the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph understood them since there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. When he turned back and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and had him bound before their eyes. Joseph then gave orders to fill their containers with grain. Return each man's silver to his sack and give them provisions for their journey. This order was carried out. They loaded the grain on their donkeys and left there. At the place where they lodged for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for the, his donkey, and he saw the silver there at the top of his bag. He said to his brothers, my silver has been returned. It's here in my bag. Their hearts sank. Trembling, they turned to one another and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they reached their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. The man who is the Lord of the country spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying on the country. But we told him, We are honest and not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of the same father. No, uh, one is no longer living, and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. The man who is the Lord of the country said to us, This is how I will know if you are honest. Leave one brother with me. Take food to relieve the hunger of your households and go. 
Bring back your youngest brother to me, and I will know that you were not spies, but honest men. I will then give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the country. As they began emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his bag of silver. When they and their father saw their bags of silver, they were afraid. Their father Jacob said to them, It's me that you make childless. Joseph is gone, and Simeon is gone, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything happens to me. Then Reuben said to his father, You can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob answered, My son will not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If anything happens to him on your journey, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. All right, so uh, it's, it's interesting. The, the conditions are being created just as they had taken Joseph's cloak back and they had money from selling Joseph. So now Joseph puts their money back in their sacks. They have money and they go and they tell their father that their brother's not with them and all of a sudden they've got this money. And the father's mind's probably turning, okay, one of my sons left and they had money. Now a second of my sons left and they've got money. And he says, you are bereaving me, you know. So so the, the all of these things are happening and this guilt is coming to mind and it's bringing them to the place of desperation in their life and and. In the midst of all of this is a picture of God's amazing grace. And uh, how does does, uh, God show us how to exchange this guilt for grace in our lives? Well, the first thing I want you to see is we need to rely on our adoption. Rely on your adoption. So, verse 11, we are all sons of one man. Um. This was no ordinary man. Um, This was the man named Jacob. Later his name was changed to Israel. He who wrestles with God and overcomes. Um, This was the man to whom the promises had been made. Uh, These 12 men, though they were would-be murderers, though they, they were crooked, Though they had lied to their father, they were still the sons of this one man. They were still the sons of promise. If you know Jesus Christ today, I want to tell you something. You are a son or a daughter of promise. You have been joined to Jesus Christ. You're in Christ. And and the Bible says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you may show forth the praises of of the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are those. They had the Abrahamic covenant, right? Uh, Great-grandfather Abraham, grandfather Isaac, and father Jacob uh, were were those who had received the promises, and these 12 were the sons of Jacob. They were the heirs of the promise. You and I are the heirs of the promise called the New Covenant. Uh, Jesus Christ established this covenant with his own blood, and it is an unconditional covenant just like Abraham's covenant was unconditional. Now, the Mosaic covenant was conditional. Uh, The nation of Israel had to obey God if they wanted to be blessed. If they disobeyed God, they would be cursed. But the Abrahamic covenant wasn't like that. God told Abraham, point blank, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, Through your seed, I will bless all the nations. We know uh, that anticipates Christ. But but God made a special promise. He made a promise of the land to Abraham uh, and a promise that God would make him into a great nation. And this promise was passed on to these 12 unworthy human beings. Just as you and I are unworthy, of the grace of God. But listen, I want to tell you something. I'm God's son. I, 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 uh, if, if you've had a child, you know there's something that happens the moment you hold that child for the first time. It, I, I can't describe it. I can't really explain it. But there's like this bond. Under, under normal circumstances, there's like this bond 
that occurs there. And I'm going to tell you something. It's right there with my grandkids, too. <laughs> it's, man, they got my heart. That, that little Beckham, he turns his eyes up and grins at me. I'm gone. <laughs> he's, he's my little guy, and so is Liam. And um, uh, there's something about it, and, and, and it never leaves. As old as your children get, my mama still calls me her baby. Now, I know I got white hair and a, and a gut, but, yeah, my mom still calls me her baby. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, there's something about it. Why? Because they're yours, right? And, and, and there's just some, something special about the bond that is there. Um, in Isaiah, God tells the people of Israel, uh, he says, look, you're going to be taken into captivity. You're going to be disciplined. But he says, I'm going to tell you, when that time of discipline o is over, I still have a plan for you. He says, I have called you by name. You are mine. Um, Ephesians 1, I believe it's verse 5. He says, we're, we're predestined to be adopted as God's children. So God has, has chosen to adopt us into his very family. Is that not an amazing thought? You and I are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. So rely on the fact that you are God's child. I remember uh, about, it was, I think it was about three days. It took three days. I'm kind of slow. It takes me a few days to get things. But um, I remember about three days after I took uh, Megan home. Sherry and I took her home from the hospital, I was having my quiet time, and it just hit me. God feels about me like I feel about her, and the tears just began to flow. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just overwhelmed by the fact, I am God's child. Nothing can change that. The devil can't change it. And I have been adopted for all time. God knew everything I would ever do that would be displeasing to him, but he still chose me anyway, and he still adopted me into his family anyway. The moment I put my trust in Christ, I became the adopted son of God. So rely on that adoption. Know that God is God's heart is moved. If you doubt that, read the book of Judges. Uh, sometimes I, I'm almost frustrated by the grace of God as I read the scripture. I'm like, why aren't you giving these people what they deserve yet, Lord? Uh, you know, uh, if it was me, it'd be different. But uh, uh, again and again and again, the people turn away from God. They, he bails them out. And, and, and as soon as things get good, they turn their back on him again. But they cry out to him. And God's heart is moved. Listen, if you're a parent, you know what that is. You are on my last nerve, right? Have you ever said that? Um, God knows what that's like, too. But, but they call out. I, I remember one time we'd had an, uh, a, a day of frequent discipline with one of my kids. And uh, <laughs> she came up. She said, Daddy, did I hit my lap? And all the frustration and angst of, of that day melted away. I said, sure, baby, come on up here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, why? Because she's mine. If you get a hold of that, that'll change your life. So um, rely on your adoption. Exchanging guilt for grace. You need to understand that you are God's adopted child. Uh, so secondly, remember your identity. Remember your identity. Uh, verse 13 but they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers. Now, on the surface, that sounds kind of unremarkable, but these were the 12 brothers who would, who would be ultimately the 12 tribes of Israel. God had a plan for their life. They had, they had blown it. They had blown it. Uh, in, a, in an incredible way. 
I mean, you talk about dysfunctional family, uh, backbiting, hatred. Uh, I mean, it was all there. They had blown it completely. But God still had a plan for their life. Why? Because that plan came about before they were born. I love Psalm 139. God tells us in Psalm 139 of God's heart and how he, he observes us and he watches us and he, how much he cares for us. But in one place it says, All the, the days determined for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see, even though these 12 guys had blown it completely, God had a plan for their life. Aren't you glad that our God is a God of grace? He takes these 12 scalawags and he uses them to be the basis of his people, the spiritual people of God who are to be the light to the nations. It's truly mind-blowing. Uh, uh, there was a, a fellow a few years ago, uh, Neil Anderson, who wrote, wrote a book, and, and he, he talks about your identity in Christ and what God says about you because you are his. Um, and he talked about, well, I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I am God's beloved. I mean, he goes through, there's a, there's a list. If you want the whole list, you know, come see me. I can, I can make you a copy. But uh, he goes through, and he would have people uh, focus on these different aspects of their identity in Christ uh, when they were struggling in their lives to kind of help them realize. Because sometimes our, our problem is just how we think about ourselves. And we need to remember who we are in Christ. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ, God says some pretty amazing things about you. He's got a plan for your life. Uh, he has chosen uh, to pursue you, to bring you to himself, uh, to redeem you through the blood of his own precious son. It, it is truly remarkable. Uh, and so remember your identity. These 12 brothers had forgotten that. Uh, they, they were special. They were, they had a, God had a plan for them. And they'd forgotten that. But God is reminding them through this situation. And he is bringing them past. This is a wonderful thing. God is bringing them past all the brokenness and hurt. Listen, they can't move on. Joseph has been struggling to move on. He, he's naming his children, uh, his first, firstborn Manasseh, because God has helped, helped me forget all the trouble of my father's household. He's still thinking about it years later all the trouble and, and heartache he's experienced. Jacob's not moved on from it. He's, he's replaying the same things that happened years ago when they came to him with Joseph's garment. He hears about Simeon being in prison, and he says, hey, here it goes again. The same thing's happening to me again. And he can't move on. He can't get past this pain in his life. But God is bringing about his supernatural healing through this set of circumstances. Joseph's going to find healing. The brothers are going to find healing. Jacob's going to find healing. That's the kind of God we serve. He can bring healing and restoration even in times of brokenness. So how do we exchange guilt for grace? Rely on your adoption. Remember your identity. Thirdly, know your Redeemer. Know your Redeemer. So Joseph says, hey, you guys are spies. And, you know, he's, he's thinking, okay, how can I get my brother and my parents down here? He's got this plan, and he's also testing the brothers. And so he says, you guys are spies, and uh, I'm going to keep you all here. I'll just send one of your brothers to go back and get your other brother. So he keeps them there for three days. And, uh, and then he changes things, as we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, but... When he comes to ch tell them that he's changing things, it says in verse 18, On the third day, Joseph said to them, I fear God. Do this and live. Okay? So, their Redeemer. You say, well, how's Joseph their Redeemer? Joseph's their Redeemer because were it not for Joseph, all of them would have starved to death, as well as many others. 
uh, Joseph is the one who delivers them from this situation of this famine. And um, he says, look, I fear God, do this and that. And so, so he changes things. Rather than keeping the 11, uh, the 10 brothers, and sending one, uh, he says, okay, I'm going to send all of you except one. And uh, he says, because I fear God. Now, um, Joseph could have done things very differently. These brothers had listened to his pleas as he'd cried to them as they were plotting his death, and then eventually as they, as they sold him into slavery. Did they hear him as they, as they were driving away? Did they hear him calling out? Uh, you know, Joe, they were in, incredibly cruel and heartless to their brother. Joseph could have said, but buddy, my day has come. You guys are going to get what you deserve. And he could have done, he could have put them in, a, in some kind of slave work for the rest of their lives. He could have, he could have put them to death had he chosen to do so. But he says, I fear God. Do this and live. He is a, a good man. He is a forgiving man. He is a gracious man because these brothers didn't deserve this, this measure of grace that he's showing them, letting them go feed their families when they had been so evil to him. But Joseph here becomes a picture of Christ. And I want to tell you something. You need to understand who your Redeemer is. I want to tell you something. My, my Jesus is like no one else who has ever lived. There has never been one sinner. You look in the Gospels. One sinner that came to Jesus in brokenness and humility that Jesus would love. That Jesus would love. There were a few that were filled with themselves and wanted to go their own way that came to Jesus that didn't get that. But, but those who came to him genuinely, Jesus never turned them away. Didn't matter if they were Samaritan. Didn't matter if they were Roman. Uh, Jesus received them. You need to understand something about your Savior, your Redeemer. He's, he is good unlike any of us are good. Now, you and I, we've got comparison. We talk about a good man, okay? We'll say, well, that so-and-so's a good man. And by human standards, he, or, he is or, or she is a good woman, okay? By human standards, that's the case, but not by God's standards. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our righteousness, as the prophet says, is filthy rags before God. It's a, it's a dis, disgusting cloth, you know. Uh, they take those cloths and they put them around the leper sores and the pus would come out in the cloth and it would stink and it would be repulsive and you'd turn away in disgust. That, that's what our best day looks like to God. We don't even understand our own sinfulness. Um, but here's how good our Savior is. Despite the fact that we are just like these brothers in his eyes. Jesus willingly said, my day has come to save you. This is the heart of our Savior. Uh, well, 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 what if we already know Christ and we fail him? Well, talk to the apostles. What do they do? They forsook him in the garden. One of them betrayed him. You, you, you know what Jesus did? Knowing he was going to betray him. You know what Jesus did right before Judas betrayed him? Jesus humbled himself and washed his feet. Reached out to him in love. Still seeking him. Still trying to reach him. What about Peter who denied him three times? Three times Jesus says, Peter, I'm not done with you. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter said, I'm through. I, I fit, my failure's too great. My past is too great. Uh, I, I can't go forward in serving God. Jesus said, I'm not done with you, Peter. I've got grace to give to you. And so, this is who our Savior is. I love what Paul said. It, you know, Paul in one place, he said, I, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be a 
called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He also wrote those words in Romans 5, where sin abounded, there did grace much more abound. You see, you've got to know your Redeemer. If you want to get past guilt to enjoy grace, you've got to know who your Savior is. And I'm going to tell you something. He is amazingly great and amazingly good. And when broken sinners come to Jesus, Jesus always responds with love. So, exchanging guilt for grace, rely on your adoption, remember your identity, know your Redeemer, trust in your substitute. Look in verses 18 and 19. This is really interesting. Verse 18 says, on the third day. Now, I know that a lot of things happen on the third day, okay? But when that comes at the beginning of a sentence, and it involves a substitution, it just I'm sorry, it just makes me think of the resurrection. Jesus died, and he rose on the third day. And guess what? Moses wasn't the only one who, who penned these words. God the Father was penning these words through Moses. The Holy Spirit was penning these words through Moses as he wrote these things. Uh, God knew what was going to happen and what was being anticipated. So anyway, on the third day. But look at, look at what he says in verse 19. Let one of you be confined to the guardhouse while the rest of you go. That's a picture of substitution. Before, all of them were going to be there and just one of them were going to go. Now, one of them is going to be there and all of them go. That's what my Savior did for me. I should have been crucified. I should have felt the lash upon my back and the crown of thorns upon my head, but my Savior took it in my place. He was confined so that I could go free. But much more, Joseph was a substitute for his brothers. Think about this for a second. Um, Joseph becomes a suffering servant, right? He's sold into slavery. Uh, he, he works as a slave in a foreign land. And though he does well, the Lord's with him and prospers him and all of those things. Uh, he suffers. Finally, he is accused falsely by someone and is thrown into a prison cell. Again, he suffers, even though the Lord is with him, and even though God blesses him. And then he's forgotten by the one he helps. And for, for a couple of, I believe it's a couple of years more, he, he is in the prison, forgotten, suffering yet again. Had not Joseph suffered, all of his brothers would have died. Had not Joseph suffered, all of that region would have died. The famine was so severe. They, they sold everything they could to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. They sold their lands to him. Uh, then they, they, they had to do sharecropping and give Pharaoh the fifth part because, uh, you know, they, they were just impoverished. The, the famine was so bad, nobody had anything to eat. Were it not for Joseph's sufferings, they would have been in serious trouble, but because Joseph suffered, they could live. You see the substitution? You see the anticipation? Jesus is called the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. We talked about that this morning. And Jesus suffered. And listen, I want to tell you something. Were it not for Jesus suffering on Calvary's cross, I'd be in serious trouble, and so would you. We would die. There'd be no hope. Jesus took my place. You trust your substitute. Listen, I want to tell you something. The sins you have yet to commit, Jesus already died for. Did you know that? That'll help you deal with guilt. That'll help you get past guilt to enjoy grace. When you understand my Savior has already paid the price. So trust your substitute. Next, come for cleansing. 
verse 21. Then they said to each other, obviously, we are being punished for what we did to our brother. Now, that, that phrase, we are being punished, literally in Hebrew is we are guilty. It's the same word that we use of the guilt offering. It can, it's most frequently, it can be translated, we're being punished, but most frequently it's translated either as guilt or guilty or it's translated as liable to offer a guilt offering. Okay? So they're saying we're guilty, which is obvious here, but they're also saying we need to offer an offering. They're admitting that. We need to, we need to, the, the guilt offering was yet, I mean, Moses hasn't come along yet. The legislation hasn't been written yet. Uh, but somehow, I don't, don't ask me how, I don't know, but God let them know somehow the idea of substitutionary atonement. And um, we know that because Abraham offered sacrifices. Uh, Isaac and Jacob offered sacrifices. Uh, how did they know to do that? Well, evidently God told them something. I don't, I don't know exactly how all that worked out. But uh, they used the very word here that was used for the guilt offering. So they said, we need to be cleansed. We need to offer a sacrifice. We're guilty. And so we need to, as God's people, we need to come for cleansing. I love what Isaiah 118 says. Come, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, it will be as Uh, you say, well, yeah, I already know Christ. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. Um, if, you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you have been cleansed. Uh, but Jesus, when he washed the feet of the disciples, he said, uh, he came to Peter. Peter said, you're not going to wash me. Um, uh, and Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Jesus said, well, okay. Uh, Peter says, okay, wash all of me. Jesus said, well, no, you don't need to be all washed. You are clean because the word I've spoken to you. But I just need to wash your feet. And it's a picture of the fact that though our cleansing was carried out, in the moment we're saved, that cleansing work is done. We still have to come and confess and restore the fellowship. Okay? First, first John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to give us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those words faithful and just are important. Faithful, that means he'll do it every time. Just means he's just to forgive and restore the relationship because of what Jesus did. Jesus already paid the price for it. So the fellowship is restored. Did you know your fellowship can be restored simply through confessing your sins to God? And then he will also do his work of cleansing in you. Not only to uh, make, make you uh, the fellowship be restored, but also to begin the process of renewing and restoring you. So uh, we come for cleansing, and God invites us to come, and God is willing for us to come and encourages us to come, uh, gives us a promise that if we will come, he will be faithful and just to forgive and cleanse of sin. So come for cleansing. Uh, that cleansing is all sufficient. Where sin abounds, there will be grace much more abounding. All right. So exchange guilt for grace, uh, rely on your adoption, remember your identity, know your Redeemer, trust your substitute, come for cleansing, enjoy undeserved bread. Now we're going to go back. Look at verse 19. Take grain to relieve the hunger of your household. Now, if I was Joseph, you, you might say, well, well, the Bible says I'm not supposed to get even, but I don't have to give him any bread. Just get out of my presence. I don't want to see you anymore, right? Joseph not only allows them to go back, he sends them bread for their household. Now, get this. God didn't just give, or Joseph didn't just give them the bread that they needed, but he gave them enough bread for all their family. Now, this is the goodness of God. <laughs> I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I don't know if you guys are, but I'm enjoying this. But we get undeserved bread as children of God. I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. 
God gives me his blessings just because he does. (laughs) I get to to enjoy, and and the blessing overflows. It's not just blessing for me. The blessing overflows to people in this congregation who are blessed through what God does in my life. It overflows to my family, uh, and your blessing overflows to me. God gives us more than we need so that we can be a blessing to other people. Uh, We enjoy undeserved bread. The physical possessions that you have are undeserved bread. The spiritual heritage that you have, the word of God that we have, all of that is undeserved bread. And, of course, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who receives me and eats of me will never go hungry. The satisfaction I feel in my soul through the presence of Christ is my undeserved bread. God gives me, and it is always enough. It is always sufficient. This is the grace of God. Finally, look at uh, verse 31. But we told him, we are honest and not spies. They keep saying this. We are honest. We are honest. We are just. The word can mean honest, can mean just, can mean truth. Um. We're called to rest in our justification. I'll tell you how all that ties in. They're claiming this. Joseph knows that he knows what they really are like. Or he remembers what they were like. Right? But something's changed. God has done a work in their lives. And you see them doing some just things in the scripture. They bring back. The money, they, they, they make the plans to do that. They bring back the money that Joseph puts in their sacks. Um, maybe it was a mistake. They're going to bring it back. They're going to do the honest thing. Um, they Before, they were callous toward their father. They didn't care about their father's failure. Now they are, are trying to do whatever they can uh, to spare their father's feelings. Um and, and, and they're trying to be careful with it. And, and you'll see this even more as we move on in, in the next chapter. But um, there's some changes that have happened. Uh, before, they had no, no sense that they were, were doing wrong. They were just so filled with hate and anger. They were lashing out at Joseph. Now they have guilt and remorse over their sin. What's happened? What's brought about this change? Uh, God is at work in their lives to change them and to make them new. And when we get a little farther in the story, you're going to see Judah, who was the ringleader that came up with the idea of selling Joseph into slavery. And he does one of the most noble things recorded in all the Bible. A true change, a true repentance has occurred in the lives of these brothers. And it becomes very evident as we move on. Um, when you repent of your sin as a child of God, uh, when you come to faith in Jesus, the Bible says you are justified. Now, God, at that point, begins a work of changing you and helping you to grow in your walk with him. So uh, those who are not honest uh, learn how to be honest. Uh, you know, those who are crooked learn how to, to do the right thing. Um, and whatever the sin may be, God begins to work on these things in our life and begins a process of change. But he also, at one moment, that moment you trust Christ, justifies you positionally. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ and access into this grace, in which we now stand. Well, how does God do that? How does God make us people who stand in his grace? Isn't that a great scripture, by the way? Just meditate on that a little bit. That'll, that'll get you on shouting ground. We stand. Listen, I want to tell you, the devil can't move me out of that place. I can't move myself out of that place. You can't move me out of that place. I stand in the grace of God because of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. How does God do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us 
He made, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm going to tell you something. When I put my trust in Jesus Christ, I was placed in Christ. His righteousness became my righteousness. I'm not saying I live a perfect life like Jesus does. I'm saying his righteousness is credited to me. Even though I didn't live it, I get credit for it. Um, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus was my sin at the cross. Now I and his righteousness, because God has credited it to me. Romans has a whole lot to say about that. The, the idea of God crediting Jesus' righteousness by faith. I am given this as God's gift. Now, Zechariah 3, Zechariah is a prophet, and he sees a vision of the high priest at that time. His name was Joshua. Um, Joshua is standing in heaven, uh, and he's in filthy rags. And Satan is there, and Satan's accusing him before God. He's saying, this, this man doesn't deserve to be here. He's, you know, and he's probably listing his sins and telling why he shouldn't be there. Uh, but this character comes. He's called the angel of the Lord. Angel meaning messenger of the Lord. The messenger of the Lord was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He's called Yahweh in a couple of passages in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus comes and he takes this filthy robe off of Joshua's shoulders. Now, Joshua's not doing anything. Jesus then takes a beautiful white robe and puts it on him and he says, now he's fit for your face. That's justification. The fil Remember I was talking about our righteousness being like filthy rags? That's my righteousness. God takes off those filthy rags and he puts on my shoulders the beautiful shining white robe of Christ's righteousness. And I'm going to tell you, it's perfect righteousness. It's pristine righteousness. It's righteousness without spot or blemish. That is my heritage. That's why I can go boldly to the throne of God. That's why the veil was ripped in the temple. Because I don't come based on my righteousness. I come based on Christ's righteousness. And every single time, he is worthy to enter the presence of God. God has justified me. He's righteous to me. Now you could, you could say it, that's bad English, but you could say that. That's what, what the word means. The righteousness of Christ has been credited to me so that I am justified. Your servants are just men. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. But I can tell you I'm a just man in the eyes of God. Why? Because I've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Rely on your justification. That will help you move past guilt to enjoy grace. When you realize that Christ has clothed you with the righteousness of God. Listen, um, we, we talk when we go out in the community about how a person is saved. And we know it's only through the blood of Christ that a person is saved. Only by faith in Jesus' name. Uh, but I want to tell you something. That blood is still working in your life and mine. Every single day that we live. Um, that old song that says the blood will never lose its power is true. What Jesus did is active in my life every single day that I live. And I stand in the grace of God. My sin has been acquitted. By the way, another, another meaning for the word justified. My sin has been acquitted by God uh, in his court because Jesus already died for it. He already paid the price. So God says, the gavel has fallen. Roger, you can go. Uh, the price has already been paid. Um, I, I have been changed forever and justified forever by what Christ has done. So if you're dealing with, great, uh, with guilt, a lot of times the devil helps you deal with guilt. Sometimes we help ourselves with guilt. But if the devil is speaking in your ear, he'll say something like this. Why do you even try as a Christian? Look at what you've done. God can never receive you. Why do you even try? You made the same mistake this week you made last week. Uh, you failed again. Uh, well, God has no use for you. What is the devil trying to get you to do? Trust in your righteousness. 
listen, I'm going to tell you something. My righteousness never gets me in trouble with God. I just agree with the devil when he starts telling me stuff like that. Well, yeah, you're right. I failed. But I'm clothed in the spotless, perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Find fault with that if you can, devil. That's my boldness, standing here in the presence of God. And uh, if, you, if you understand that and you put your trust in that, it will revolutionize your life. This is the shadow that looks forward to what Christ has done. We can exchange guilt for grace because Jesus Christ deserved every good thing the Father could give. He credits us. He, one scripture in the, in the New Testament says, uh, My little children, it's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Did you know that Jesus has merited it for us? I go to prepare a place for you. How could I get that place? Because Jesus deserves it on my behalf. I don't deserve to be a son of God. How could I be adopted into God's family? Jesus deserved it on my behalf. Listen, there's a reason we're all going to cast our crowns before Jesus in heaven. Because I'm not worthy and you're not worthy, but Jesus is for sure you're worthy. His is the name above every other name because of what he's done for us. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked by guilt. Uh, you, you serve God. You, you approach God in prayer. Uh, you be confident. And, you know, repent of your sin. Confess your sin. Sure, do that. Uh, you need to do that. God will, will discipline you if you don't. Uh, but, but recognize that the favor of God rests upon you and that you're his and that he is for you, and that nothing is ever going to stop that because Jesus has sealed it. It's sealed in heaven. The handwriting that was against us, yes, even stuff I've not done yet, has been blotted out of God's book for all time. Colossians tells us that. It's been taken out of the middle. It was nailed to my Savior's cross. It's buried in the sea of forgetfulness far as the east is from the west. And because of that, I have hope. And I can walk each day putting my trust in Jesus Christ because he is the one who saved me in the past tense, is saving me, and will save me. He's the author and the finisher. It's all Jesus. So I quit preaching. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the amazing work that you've done for us.